Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. Thanks, and welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I am Jerry Prokopovich. Tonight, we welcome our third Lincoln Program guest of February 2014. He is Richard Carradine, formerly Rhodes Professor of American History at St. Catherine's College, Oxford, and now President of Corpus Christi College, Oxford. He's also a winner of the Lincoln Prize and the author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power. He'll be our guest tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich coming to you. Tonight, from the third floor of the Brewster Building, back at Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters, we did our last show from the home office in Greenville, North Carolina, because weather had shut down part of the university last week. But now we're back in the Brewster Building. We're back, but the university is not speaking for me tonight, nor do I speak for it. And likewise, our guest will represent himself only as we talk about the Civil War here in February 2014. It's a good day to be talking about Abraham Lincoln and the wartime era. Uh, From my perspective, it's a good day to be talking about anything, having just made it through a weekend-long tournament of the Greenville Stars over-50 team. Uh, Many longtime listeners will remember the happy days of coaching the uh, youth teams. Now the girls are grown and moving on to college, high school, uh, high school, college, and beyond. Uh, It's time for me to play, and I've been playing with the other old guys. We went down to Wilmington last weekend, and we didn't win a single game. We lost one and tied two, but the satisfaction of playing a scintillating 0-0 draw with a uh, superior team from Charlotte and thus knocking them out of the final round of the tournament. Uh, We didn't advance, but we made sure they didn't either, and it was uh, a good feeling all around to be the spoiler and to come home uh, in one piece. Uh, Lots of Ben Gay, lots of Advil, lots of uh, other applications, keeping everybody whole through the weekend. We made it, and uh, and I'm back. So I'm glad to share that news with you. Glad also to share with you news of the upcoming shows here on Civil War Talk Radio. Next week, we'll have uh, Mike Cobb, J. Michael Cobb, talking about the Battle of Big Bethel. Uh, Following that, Richard Slotkin, uh, who has written on both uh, literary and historical topics, will join us with his book, The Long Road to Antietam. We'll take a week off for spring break. I'll be traveling with my younger daughter to uh, at least one college, perhaps more, uh, more about that in a moment. And then we'll be back on March 19th. Our originally scheduled guest from last week, Jared Peatman, will join us. 
<clears throat> to discuss the Gettysburg Address. Uh, he was unable to be with us due to the weather last week, but we've got him back on the schedule. And then we'll have uh, a different topic. Ray Catherine Amy has written about Abraham Lincoln in the Kitchen, a cookbook from the Lincoln era. Uh, it'll be an interesting discussion. Then we get back to the Civil War proper in April. Uh, April 2nd, Robert uh, Girardi has a book on Civil War generals, really a book by Civil War generals about other generals. You'll see what I mean when we get there. Uh, we've got a book about uh, a book called Spy for the Union. Uh, Mr. Recco is the author of that. Robert Connor on uh, Gordon Granger the following week. On the 23rd, James Conroy with a book on the Hampton Roads Peace Conference. And then rounding out the month of April, uh, Catherine Meyer with a book on nature's civil war, an environmental history of the war in Virginia in 1861 and 62. So lots of different approaches all coming up in the days and weeks ahead. Hope you can join us for all of those. Keep track of them, as always, at www.impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War Companion website where Mark Gaffney keeps things in order, and where you can contribute to the show by clicking on the Amazon, uh, clicking on the PayPal button, I should say, and uh, sending money directly here, or by clicking on any of the books that you see advertised there, listed from our past guests, and or future guests for that matter, and uh, buy your books that way through Amazon. That helps uh, the website keep in action. The PayPal donation button, not used as frequently since we ran out of uh, books to supply you with as, as thank you gestures, but still uh, uh, the occasional support comes in and it's much appreciated. Uh, last week I invited listeners to help select my daughter's college choice, younger daughter's about to graduate from high school. Uh, should she go to uh, Chapel Hill here in North Carolina or University of Michigan or Miami of Ohio? Tulane University in New Orleans, uh, and to make your vote count, I invited people to donate uh, anywhere from uh, $10,000 uh, or more to help pay the tuition at all, any of these fine schools. And surprisingly, we haven't been take that offer has not been taken up yet. So there's still an opportunity for you to be the first listener to uh, pay for Maria's schooling and uh, get me and my wife off the hook, leave us with more than cat food for dinner for the next four years. But that's certainly up to you. Uh, meanwhile, it's back to the 19th century, to the era of the Civil War, the life of Abraham Lincoln, and our guest uh, coming to us uh, uh, tonight, uh, I believe, from California, although he is, uh, his duty station is uh, Oxford University in England. It, our guest is Richard J. Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power, a winner of the Lincoln Prize, and uh, many other honors. Richard, are you there? I am. I am, Jerry. Yes. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And uh, you may wonder why I'm here in California, and part of the answer is to escape the terrible floods that we've had in Oxford uh, over the last few weeks. Um, I've, I've exchanged the flooding, the worst flooding in 250 years for the, the worst drought in California history. And uh, in order to make my coffee, when I came, I brought some water with me. How about that? You could probably sell that water, I think, on the black market there and uh, <laughs> yeah, finance well, your trip home. In, indeed. And, um, and thank you very much for um, uh, telling us about uh, the uh, the funding problems that you're facing <laughs> with, your, <laughs> with your daughter. I, I, I mean, I'll see what I can do. I'll see well, what I, I can do. <laughs> much appreciated. Now, you're in California. You're at the Huntington Library right now? That's right, yes. Uh, what, what are you working on? Well, I'm working on a short book on Lincoln's humor. Um, I have a, a delightful one-month research fellowship here. Um, I'm trying to get back to being a scholar. Being a, a president of an Oxford college isn't quite as onerous as being a president of a, of a college in the United States, but it's terribly difficult to get time for real scholarship. I took up my post there in uh, January of 2010, 
And since then, I've managed to do a, a little bit of tick-over scholarship, but not very much. And my college very kindly has given me a sabbatical term. And I've agreed to do a, uh, a short book uh, for a, uh, an Illinois publisher on uh, Abraham Lincoln's sense of humor. And um, so I'm about, I arrived just two or three days ago. I've just encountered the, the Huntington Library for the very first time as a research place. I've oh, been here, uh-huh. lectured previously, but I've never studied and never used the library. And the collections are marvelous, and they just do so much for you as, a, as an incoming reader. I can't praise them enough. I'm a bit like a kid in a, in a candy store at the moment. And the project is to look at um, Lincoln's sense of humor, uh, I want to explore um, not just what um, Lincoln made Lincoln laugh, um, although I think that's in itself an, an interesting question, um, but also how he used humor politically and how it damaged him politically. It wasn't always, uh, I think the story of Lincoln's humor is often de- decontextualized, it's taken out of context, and it's, um, Lincoln is presented rather fondly as a as a homespun storyteller, joke teller. Um, it seems to me that if you put him back into context, um, there's, there, there are benefits that Lincoln draws out of being this, uh, this, this, uh, this uh, storyteller, this um, much appreciated storyteller by his friends and his cronies and by his political, uh, his, those who are close to him political, politically. But there's another story, and that is the damage that uh, being seen as a joke teller does, particularly during wartime. And it's that that I want to explore, the damage that Lincoln faces as a, the political damage that Lincoln faces as someone who is perceived as uh, not up to the job, a man who has to have recourse to, uh, to humor and storytelling, who uh, is seen even by some of his closest uh, colleagues as a man who lacks seriousness when it really matters. One of the most famous examples of that would be when he visited Antietam after the battle and supposedly uh, called for a a comic song uh, from uh, Ward Lamon and and, uh, cartoonists and editorialists uh, gave him a very hard time about that. But it sounds like you're suggesting that's not unique. There are other examples. Uh, There are other examples. I think one of the... the, um, I'm just going to do something here, um, Jerry, that's going to stop my... uh, incoming emails on my machine here and speaking, <laughs> speaking on Skype and if I close down my um, my mailbox that may stop that's it, I've done it uh, Yes, there are, you're absolutely right, of course that's the famous example, the, um, the Antietam battlefield and uh, this becomes an issue that the Democrats raised during the 1864 presidential campaign um, indeed I've just been looking at uh, Lamon's uh, own a statement as to what really happened on that occasion. He's uh, obviously offended by the the way in which um, the, the 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 episode has been turned by um, the Democrats into uh, something so sordid. Um, but yes, there are other there are other examples. Uh, one of the marvelous things about the um, the uh, electronic media these days about the, the capacity to search newspapers uh, for keywords is to just to see how Lincoln, the, the joker, Lincoln, the smutty joker, as he's mm-hmm. frequently called by uh, his opponents, becomes a very powerful trope, a very powerful um, uh, image um, through 1864-65. It, it increasingly becomes a weapon in the Democrat, the Copperhead Arsenal uh, and uh, it's it's difficult, of course, to know how much uh, how to measure the damage that's done. Um, my, my view is that it's a, it it's in some ways it suggests the the limits of the Democrats' arsenal um, of uh, of weaponry against the administration. I mean the the, the uh, civil liberties, um, the suspension of habeas corpus, race. Uh, those are, I guess, the two most powerful elements. The Lincoln, the dictator, uh, Lincoln, the emancipator, are the two most powerful elements in the Democrats' uh, arsenal. But Lincoln, the man who is not up to the job, uh, who is crude, who is smutty, who takes joy in in laughter at a time when the nation really wants someone who can see the seriousness of the situation. These, I think, are um, these are powerful messages. 
Well, it is a, an important part of the Lincoln persona, and it's one that we need to explore more fully, certainly. We're going to take a short break now. We'll come right back. We're talking today with Richard Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Richard Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power. But we've been talking in the first segment about his current research project, a short book on Lincoln's humor. I'm guessing that's for the Southern Illinois University uh, Press, the the Concise Lincoln Library. Uh, Richard, is that right? That's right, Jerry, yes. That's a a wonderful series of uh, exactly what it says, concise books uh, uh, that, that focus on, on little bits, uh, uh, precise elements in the Lincoln story. I'm uh, working up a topic for that myself and hope to uh, join you in that series. I would be honored to be in company of, of uh, uh, some of the people. Uh, I, I'm not sure yet. I've, I've got a couple ideas, uh, but I've been in touch with the editors and we're discussing where to go. It's an ideal format, for, as you well know, when you're involved in administration, there's not a lot of time to write. And the idea of a sort of manageable size uh, chunk like that is, is, is quite appealing. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I mean, my interest in this began when I started looking at Lincoln's uh, appetite for the writings of uh, David Ross Locke, namely uh, Petroleum v. Naseby. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just seeing that this is, uh, when Lincoln said of Naseby that, uh, and he did of Locke, that uh, for the, that the genius to have uh, invented Naseby and to write the, uh, the paper, the Naseby papers, um, which of course Lincoln deeply admired. 
Uh, Lincoln said for the, for, the, for the genius to do that, he would gladly have given up the presidency. Uh, and uh, I took me into an investigation of what it is about the, the Naseby papers that Lincoln so admired. It's, it is brilliant satire. Lincoln, of course, was um, an unsuccessful satirist, um, and as a, as a younger man, you'll recall that, uh, indeed, he found himself in deep trouble having uh, satirized um, James Shields, who challenged him to a duel, and the upshot was that uh, uh, only at the last minute was, this, was, was the duel called off. Lincoln, uh, Lincoln and, uh, uh, and Shields met. Um, the, uh, Lincoln, of course, was able to choose the weapons, and chose uh, medieval broadswords. Um, Lincoln, Lincoln, Lincoln's reach was such that uh, he was felt confident that if the uh, if the duel went ahead, he would have the advantage. But I think Lincoln was deeply embarrassed by that particular episode. Uh, he was also, I think, uh, as, uh, not just as a result of that, aware that satire, um, that that that, and the most effective satire, was not easy to do. L- uh, let me in- ask you a question about the the duel issue that I've always thought that when Lincoln named the the broadsides, cavalry broadswords of the longest make or something to that effect, that he was in fact mocking the whole process because Shields was such a short person. Uh, It would be an absurd weapon. But other writers, Mark Neely and others, insist that Lincoln was quite serious about this. Uh, How do you read that? Uh, I I, I don't know, but my (laughs) instinct is to say that it's a joke. Um, that it's uh, it's it's a it's a, a statement of disdain for the whole uh, process, exactly. Um, but also a statement of uh, of self-preservation. If we're going to fight, I'm going to use a weapon. <laughs> You're not going to be able. To. I want to be in a position where I, or <laughs> where I, I'm not uh, I'm not killed. Exactly. Uh, but I. But it seems to me that I mean Lincoln had such a dry and wry sense of humour that I find it extremely hard to believe that this was said in all uh, earnestness or simple, simply in earnestness. Um, so I'm I'm with you on this one. Now, what when you once this book comes out, people are going to ask you this all the time when you're giving a talk or a, a book presentation. What's Lincoln's best story? And my experience with that is the humor requires context and doesn't carry well into the 21st century. And it's a really hard question to answer. So I'm going to ask you that. What do you find is the best Lincoln joke? <laughs> well, I, I think the ones I, I like are those which... Um, there's a, actually, there's a very good one in your in your book. Did uh, Lincoln own slaves? Uh, well, now whether that really is a Lincoln story is another matter, but it's the one that you <laughs> might want to tell that one in a moment, um, and which doesn't really depend on context at all. It's just a it's just a good story. Although I think it's the context of the the, the jury room um, uh, does add something to it. Um, I mean, I I, I like uh, those. Um, those uh, stories that Lincoln told, or those jokes that he told, or those those um, episodes that he's involved in, where um, he kind of twists the logic. I mean, here's Lincoln, who we know is um, a Euclidean. He's read the, the books of Euclid. He's self-taught. He's a master logician and uh, uh, highly rational. And then there's something about the way in which he's able to stand logic on its head or to twist it. And uh, there's the story, I'm sure you know it. It's one that I think Noah, Noah Brooks tells of Lincoln being on a plank road, uh, being driven in an ambulance, uh, and the, uh, the 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 teams to the the, um, the coachman um, is uh, the the ambulance is jostling around on this plank road, and the and the coachman is shouting at the horses, and uh, he's he's a, a stream of obscenities and swearing, swearing coming. And, and this goes on for some time. And after a while, Lincoln taps him on the shoulder and says, uh, excuse me, my man, are you an Episcopalian? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, the postman looks rather bewildered and says, no, Mr. President, I'm a, I'm a Methodist. Oh, said Lincoln, I, I just, I, I thought you had to be an Episcopalian because you see um, Governor Seward uh, is, um, is indeed an Episcopalian and indeed a church warden and he swears like a trooper <laughs> and, and, and it's the idea that, 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 that you, see, well, you see what I'm getting at yeah. there's a logic for that which of course is a false logic um, and there are, there are I, I, I could go on but that's, uh, that's one of my favourites 
that, that is a good one. I appreciate the invitation. I, I know this, uh, to tell a Lincoln story myself. I'm going okay. to pass on it because the one you, you have in mind is just slightly <laughs> off color, and yeah. my mother is listening this evening. All right. All right. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to said that, that, that once you start telling Lincoln stories, you really do have to call for the blue pencil. I mean, the, the, ones, that, uh, the ones that he told privately, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, I think, um, probably don't bear recounting on radio. Oh. Now, let me take this back in the direction we were talking the first second section. Um, you say that Lincoln often had political difficulty because of the humor. It was used as a weapon against him. What was the, the worst uh, example of this? Where did Lincoln really misjudge the audience or, or use humor inappropriately that you found? Now that's a uh, that's a, a good question. I I mean I don't I don't know that there's an epi- I can't point to an episode and I'm I may be overstating. I I I take your I take the thrust of your question. Mm-hmm. Um, I may I may be uh, maybe I'm not overstating it, but it's very difficult to measure uh, the steady drip 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 in the opposition press of the claims that Lincoln is a smutty joker. Um, it. It is um, uh, undoubtedly the case that uh, if you look at the, uh, take the New York Herald, for example, um, uh, when Lincoln is being challenged by Fremont, uh, uh, or at least when there's a head of steam behind Fremont's candidacy in 1864, there's um, an editorial, um, I guess it's... um, uh, a, a Bennett editorial mm-hmm. uh, in the in the Herald, where every other sentence is Fremont is not a smutty joker. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a, a column and a half editorial, um, and every other sentence is Fremont is not a smutty joker. Um, so I, I I can't point to an occasion where Lincoln is embarrassed by. Uh, his telling of a story uh, in in the immediate context, but the, the 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 readiness of Lincoln to use humor in situations which um, seem even to his friends to be the wrong place um, gives the fact that he's he does that gives material I think to his opponents. If you look at Sumner or you look at uh, at Stanton, I mean both both. Both of whom, of course, are, um, uh, you know, they, they want the very best for the administration. Um, they find it Im- uh, strange, putting it as its simplest and its least, uh, at least, at least strong. Um, uh, they find it strange that Lincoln would be willing to spend time reading from Petroleum Nasby, reading aloud to to those in his company um, when there are more pressing matters of state. And S- Sumner goes to see Lincoln in 1864 with a, a matter of, about a, I think, in relation to a court-martial. And um, Lincoln spends 20 minutes before uh, Sumner can present the business reading from uh, from Nasby. Um, so th- there's, there's a sense that the... Um, the instruments of, of of the office that the the the, um, the the levers of power are in the hands of someone who lacks the seriousness of purpose and the seriousness of focus to do the job well. And I don't know. I can't say that we don't have public opinion polls, but I'm I'm willing to um, to put my um, um, put my second best coat <laughs> on. <laughs> on the statement that this did Lincoln no favors. Now, you might say it only reinforced the, the, um, the hostility of those who were already opposed, that it didn't sway any votes. Um, but I think it created a, um, a, a, a perception of Lincoln, an unfair perception of Lincoln, um, which certainly his, uh, his, um, uh, his staunch supporters Laman amongst them, layman Laman amongst them, mm-hmm. uh, uh, supporters felt that um, it, it was was doing him was doing him dam- unfairly doing him damage. Now, when he when he's reading that story to to uh, Charles Sumner and just hold, sort of holding him at bay for twenty minutes, uh, I've always had the sense that 
he knew how much the the elite Sumner had no use for this, and he was uh, almost demonstrating his power. I am the president, and if I choose to do this, you'll stand there and listen. Uh, the, the two of them always had a sort of uh, unspoken contest, uh, and, and, and Lincoln always wins. But Lincoln, in, in, if that's the case, then that's an example of Lincoln using his humor instrumentally, which is, as you said in their first segment, is how he's often portrayed by biographers, and certainly how he was portrayed in the Lincoln movie, uh, where his storytelling is always on point, and as much as it frustrates Stanton or someone else, uh, the viewer can tell, that's a good story, I understand where he's going with it. Uh, do you think the movie got Lincoln right as a storyteller? Yes, and I think, but I, I can just come back to your point there about mm-hmm. uh, about power, um, about um, the control, and about authority. I I couldn't agree more that um, that Lincoln uh, does use his his humor, um, does use the storytelling uh, as a way of um, imposing himself. Um, I think also that. Um, eliciting laughter is in itself a statement of power. Um, it's, a, it's an affirmation um, of, uh, of one's authority. So, um, so yes, I, I agree with you on that. Uh, yes, I, I think the, the movie did get um, Lincoln right, as, he, as I think the movie, in, in this respect, as I think it got Lincoln right in so many other respects. I'm sure you've had uh, discussions on your program uh, uh, over the, the months um, in respect of the uh, of, of the movie. Um, uh, it, uh, it, it the movie had a came when it was released in the UK um, had uh, a good airing and was well received. Um, I had uh, many people ask me, you know, well, is this uh, is this a is this a is this a great movie? Is it a good movie? Does it does it represent Lincoln well? <laughs> And the the answer was well. I think it, uh, it it this is perhaps not this is faint praise, but I said it's the best it's the best movie we've had on Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, which perhaps isn't saying very may not in itself seem to be saying very much. But I think actually I I, I do mean that very positively. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think the movie did um, uh, do something uh, that no uh, that very few Civil War movies have done. Which is to show that for Lincoln, um, emancipation mattered, and that the war was actually about slavery and emancipation. And uh, as a teaching tool, it seems to me, the movie, not that we only want to go to movies because they're pedagogically useful, but I think as, a, as, a, as you and I, as, a, as American historians doing, um, doing our job as teachers, um, it's good to have a movie that uh, takes slavery and emancipation seriously. It has its own, I know that. There are issues as to um, how far, how important this particular episode was in bringing about uh, the Thirteenth Amendment. Uh, but the fact we can have that debate is a good thing. Um, and uh, so um, I, I'd, I'd say three cheers to to Spielberg and to Daniel Day Lewis, um, and not simply because uh, Daniel Day Lewis portrays Lincoln's. Uh, uh, sense of humor uh, in a way that I think is is uh, is authentic. You mentioned uh, you know people asking you uh, uh, when you're in in uh, England about this question uh, about the movie. There are there's a lot of interest uh, worldwide in the American Civil War. I'm curious what your what students think. Uh, I, I often ask guests from different parts of of the United States what their students think in different uh, states, different regions. Uh, how interested or how knowledgeable they are about uh, the, the American Civil War. What about Oxford students? Do, yeah, what about them? Well, they're clever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I have to say that on the whole, American history generally and uh, American Civil War and American Civil Rights, American Race um, in particular, are topics that over my teaching career of now 40 years have grown in, um, in, uh, in the, the appetite has grown. Um, I think that we, we see much more um, American history or rather, we see American history being taught in many more institutions with uh, very substantial enrollments. Specifically in, in Oxford, um, the American Civil War special subject that I uh, devised and uh, has been running now for a, a few years um, is always oversubscribed. Um, British students uh, who do not 
uh, have uh, have a have a language have a other than other than English, and who want to specialize in uh, non-British history don't have uh, as, as, as as that many options. But American history uh, has an attraction for that for that reason. Um, and the American Civil War um, and uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, c- c- certainly register very high on uh, uh, the scale of undergraduate interest in, in, in history departments. Uh, well, well, we'll come back. We're going to take another short break now and come back and talk some more with our guest today, Richard Carradine. This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Richard Carradine, author of Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power, also working on a forthcoming book about Lincoln's use of humor for the Concise Lincoln Library series at Southern Illinois University Press. And we've been talking about Lincoln's use of humor and how it served as both uh, a useful device, but also uh, could be a political liability at times. Uh, The... uh, I want to change gears a little bit, Richard, and talk uh, about your earlier work, which, as I noted, uh, won the Lincoln Prize. The Lincoln Prize was just announced for this year in in the last few weeks, and uh, Martin Johnson, uh, our guest a few weeks ago, shares it with Alan Gelzo, who was to have been our guest a few weeks ago, but we had a a little mix-up there, and uh, uh, eventually... uh, Perhaps we'll get Alan back on, but I'll have to have him actually in the room with me, handcuffed, before uh, 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 lest he miss the show again. Uh, but Richard, in your your uh, I'll call it a biography of Lincoln, although it, it's not advertised as such. Uh, it strikes me that you follow a a, a pattern that uh, that Alan Gelzo uh, pioneered in the 1990s by being one of the first people to uh, take Lincoln's religion seriously, and uh, you, in turn, uh, take his, his political philosophy uh, seriously and his use of religion uh, instrumentally to, to uh, advance political causes uh, in a way that, that no one had done up, up to, uh, to your book in, I think it was 2004, 2005. Uh, 
that that seems like a, that ties in with what we've talked about thus far. Lincoln as a, a humorist, uh, a smutty joker, uh, not someone who would appeal to religious figures. But you argued very strongly that Lincoln was extremely good at appealing to the northern clergy during the war and speaking to them in a language they could understand. Uh, how how could he do that if he were if he's the big joker? That's a very nice question. Um, uh, and the, 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 well, the answer is he was he was both. And uh, of course, the um, I make a just a, a, a number of points. Uh, w- one is that the um, p- publicly, of course, during the Civil War, Lincoln does become more serious. He, in fact, through the eighteen fifties as well as the eighteen sixties, um, Lincoln uh, ceases to be uh, in public the speaker who uh, relies on stories and on jokes. There are a number of occasions where uh, Lincoln, with his reputation for being humorous, uh, for being uh, someone who uh, you'll want to listen to because he's funny, uh, disappoints his audience. Um, That happens um, from 1854, 55, 56, through the late 50s and into the war. And... um, a number of commentators who know Lincoln well say Lincoln has become a more serious person, a more serious speaker. So I think the the, the reputation as the storyteller and as the joke teller um, is a legacy of an earlier era. Um, the, this is not to say that he doesn't use storytelling and indeed joke telling in private as a as president in situations where um, he can make a point powerfully, uh, where he can seek release. Um, but the public side of Lincoln is what I was talking about in uh, Lincoln in uh, Lincoln Life of Purpose and Power, uh, in respect of Lincoln's communication skills and his use of the office. Uh, uh, to, 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 to reach out um, as president through um, through churches, through the political party, and through indeed through the army uh, to to reach opinion formers in the home front. Um, I do take Lincoln's uh, religion seriously. Um, I, I think we have difficulties in fathoming. Uh, precisely where he stands in terms of his spirituality uh, in in wartime. It's clear that, to me at least, that uh, Lincoln's, uh, uh, over the course of Lincoln's life, uh, his adult life, he moves from, as a young man, being what one might call a deist, um, someone who uh, uh, quite probably did d- declare that Christ was uh, was not a divine figure, uh, that Christ, as he as one of his uh, uh, colleagues said, uh, Christ was a bastard to use his his language, a literally uh, illegitimate child. Um, uh, that the, the and and questioned the divinity, the inspiration, I should say, of the Bible. From there, in the eighteen thirties, Lincoln is on a course that um, leads him by the 18, during the 1860s as president to a person who sees um, the, the div- a divine intervention in human affairs. Uh, Lincoln's providence, and he frequently refers to providence and to the Almighty and to Almighty God, to our Maker in the, uh, during the Civil War. Uh, Lincoln's providence, Lincoln's Almighty, is a, a figure... Uh, a, a, a God who intervenes in human affairs. This is not where Lincoln was in the 1830s. Um, the experience of war um, certainly uh, compels Lincoln to ask questions about the about fundamentals, about uh, the direction of events, about the direction of history. Um, and I have no doubt at all from the uh, diary entries of um, Orville Browning, uh, of Salmon Chase, um, of Gideon Wells, that um, Lincoln surprises them on occasions with his willingness to speak of uh, um, the Union's relationship to the Almighty and the Almighty's role in the events of the Union. Um, 
when Wells and Chase, um, describing the September cabinet meeting, of course, where Lincoln tells the cabinet that he's going to uh, issue the uh, preliminary emancipation proclamation, both of them are surprised by um, Lincoln stating that he has, and he pauses, he has made a promise to his maker um, that success on the battlefield at Antietam will lead to uh, the issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation. And he says to Orville Browning earlier than that, um, uh, Browning, um, when Browning says that uh, he presses Lincoln to uh, move on the emancipation issue. This is in October of 1861. And Lincoln says, um, uh, Browning, it may be that God's understanding of, of, of events is very different from ours and that he has a quarrel with the Union uh, over its position on, on slavery. And Browning says um, he was surprised by the, uh, the, uh, the sophistication and the profundity of, of Lincoln's thinking. So um, I... I, I, it seems to me, A, that Lincoln, that point one, Lincoln's own understanding of the role of the Almighty changes over the course of his life, certainly um, in the 1860s and maybe even before that, but certainly in the 1860s. The second point I make is that uh, I don't think that Lincoln was being hypocritical when he sought to use the, the mainstream churches of the North uh, to promote the Union cause. Um, I don't think he ever said anything to clergy who came to see him in the White House um, that was not honest to himself. Um, but he, um, he, he never said to them, I am a Christian. He never said, I believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. I don't think that Lincoln was a Christian in that sense. I think his position was much closer to that of Unitarians and of Universalists. Um, but he did speak a language, um, both in private and in public, and of course most notably in the Second Inaugural, but well before that fact, in 1863 and 64, a, a, a language um, of uh, providentialism, which allowed conventional Protestant believers and ministers, um, Jonathan Turner, president of Illinois College, said, Lincoln, uh, we see Lincoln as sort of halfway clergyman. Um, he, he may even see himself as a sort of halfway clergyman. Um, and I, I cite in my, my book um, a, the statement of a uh, Chicago lawyer who thought that the, the secret of the, the Union's course during the, the Civil War, and this is, I think, a statement in 1864, but the secret of the Union's course was that the Lord runs Lincoln. You recognize the expression there, mm -hmm. political managers in the 1860s, or indeed in this era, ran candidates for office. They ran them uh, in the way that um, Thurlow Weed ran uh, William Henry Seward. Well, um, this Chicago lawyer said, it's the Lord who runs Lincoln. Um, so, uh, yes, there is apparent disparity between my saying that Lincoln is a smutty, is, has, the, has a reputation as a smutty joker, and uh, also has this reputation as a halfway clergyman. Both of them are the case. Um, the former largely amongst his, his opponents, um, the latter amongst those staunch unionists who, uh, as Lincoln said, are the most loyal to the union, uh, the, those are Protestants who are the most loyal to the union, and particularly Methodists and mainstream Baptists. The, uh, his familiarity with the Bible certainly helped him in that regard, that he could speak in, in biblical metaphors and quotations and, and cadences that would, uh, that would resonate with the, the clergy and, and with the, the church-going uh, yeah. northern public. But, but as you say, he himself did not, do the, did not, go, uh, did not belong to a church, uh, certainly. And that that ability to uh, to to appeal to a church uh, a church constituency without being a member is is quite remarkable. Yes, I suppose one needs to draw the distinction between church membership and and uh, church attendance. Mm -hmm. um, of course, he was a regular attender uh, at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church during the war. Um, much more of a regular attender than he had been in the Presbyterian Church in Springfield during the 1850s. Um, uh, so uh, let, let's not assume that that he's he's uh, there. There is no. Um, 
personal institutional no institutional connection on the part of, of, of Lincoln with the churches but um, the, and the majority of those actually attend churches in the United States in the 1860s were not church members they had probably for every church member there were two or three uh, attenders at services uh, who did not uh, profess a conversion experience, but who saw themselves as being part of the larger denominational family. Um, and that's where I think Lincoln stood. And I think for Lincoln, the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church uh, theology, a, Cal- a pretty strict traditional Calvinistic theology, um, served his own spiritual purposes very well. Well, the... Uh the distinction between church membership and attendance is a, a useful one. There, there's in evangelical uh, churches that is, uh, well, in most Protestant denominations, that is a, a distinction. Uh, there are other churches where you just sort of show up and you're in. Uh, yes. So, so it is uh, worth noting the difference there. Uh, well, this. We're running down to just a few minutes, and I want to say first, uh, I'm impressed by the connection that we have here with the miracle of Skype uh, and the the uh, adept engineers at uh, World Talk Radio uh, putting everything together. Uh, you are. What is the timetable for your your Lincoln humor uh, project? Uh, should I say that on air? <laughs> uh, if, if, if you're committed to it, once you say it, you know. <laughs> let me let me put it like this: that I um, I'm aiming at September to uh, to get a, a manuscript into the uh, publisher, um, and I suppose having now said it on air, I feel even more obliged to to meet that deadline. Um, I certainly would like to. But they, the problem is that I get back to Oxford in uh, the end of April for uh, the, the summer term. And uh, once I'm um, sucked back into college administration, who knows what would happen. But I, I think I have a fighting chance of meeting the schedule for this September, which I guess would mean that with any luck, the book would be out next year. Well, that would be ideal. It's something uh, I know all the listeners to the show would look forward to uh, uh, to reading. It will be, if it's anything as pleasant to read and, and insightful as uh, Lincoln, A Life of Purpose and Power. They will uh, enjoy that. And uh, as I've enjoyed talking with you, it is uh, too rare we get to get together. It was good to see you last uh, September or October, it was, at Knox College. And hopefully we'll get to do that again next year. But uh, until then, the, the radio will have to do. Yeah. Well, Jerry, thank you very much for inviting me on. I, I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, it's a novel experience for me um, uh, in, in many, many ways, not least, uh, as you say, by being connected by Skype. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. And we'll, we'll get together again soon. And listeners, to you, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Get ahead in business and life.